so excited to have you here today. For those of you that are joining us online, thank you so much for giving us the privilege to serve you, to give you a fresh word from the heart of God. Hey, how many of you are ready and excited to hear the word of God today? Amen. Well, listen, if that's you, or if you're just open to the word of God today, I want you to say this with us. I have ears to hear. I have eyes to perceive. And I have a heart that's ready and willing to understand and receive the living word of God. Now, come on now, give it up if you're excited. Hey, today we are continuing in our latest series. We started a new series last week called The Tipping Point. And what we're learning about is the role that our minds play in navigating through life with God. Now, I want you to know something that the mind, your mind, is a powerful tool. But it's a powerful tool that God has given you dominion over. God has entrusted you with a mind that has the ability to process and to help you in this, in this uh, a way of transformation and experiencing new and greater things with God. I remember a couple of years back, um, many, many years ago, my mother was looking for a way to get this kid, you know, out of the streets and into something. And so she made me a Boy Scout. <laughs> right? I became a Boy Scout. And listen, my mother went all in. Like, she invested. She says, no, this is what you're doing. So if anybody's ever been a Boy Scout, or maybe you haven't, maybe it, you, might, you might be interested in this. When I tell you my mother went all in, she didn't buy me one set of uh, vomit green pants. She bought me two pairs of vomit green pants. And I had the pocket on the side. And then I had two tan shirts with my troop number and my, my Weeblo badge because I only made it to that first badge. I didn't make it past that, right? She bought me the, if you've ever been camping with them and you know anything about it, they, the, the, the camping bag that they give you, this backpack, comes on this metal aluminum frame, right? And then you clip it on. She bought me the cooking, the, the, the portable cooking thing. She bought me the cup, right? She bought me a compass. She bought me the, the Boy Scout handbook. I had it all. I even had the fake Swiss Army knife that they charge you double for that had the Boy Scout logo on it, right? You opened it up with all. I had all that. So this one day, Mr. Popovich, who was our Scoutmaster, says, hey, guys, we're going to do something different. He said, all right, what are we doing? He says, we're going hiking. Now, you got to understand, we're in Washington Heights. We've never hiked anywhere. We've walked Walked city blocks, but hiking, yeah, that was new and that was different. So he decided we were going hiking. So week after next, we show up Saturday morning and we all jump into his Brady Bunch uh, station wagon. You know what I'm talking about? That ugly light brown station wagon with the big brown stripe in the middle, right, that you could throw like 30,000 people into. Well, that was us. It was about nine, ten of us, right? And me, being the good Boy Scout that I was, going hiking, you never know if something happens, so I brought my backpack, right, and I brought all the cooking utensils, and I brought my little thermos, and I brought my compass, and I brought my Boy Scout handbook, because if you forget something, you want to look in the handbook, so we go, right, we get there, and these guys are looking at me like I'm crazy, but whatever, that's another story, and we're on our way to what seemed like, man, the mountains, Man, we drove over the George Washington Bridge to exit two off of the Palisades, <laughs> right? Uh, Camp, Camp uh, Alpine, right? And so that's where we were going, but it felt like it took forever. You got to remember, we've never been anywhere. So while we're on our way there, all of a sudden he pulls over on the side of the road and he says, all right, guys, hop out. What are we, stretching? Right, we get out and he says, this is your starting point, and he gives us a map. And he says, you got two miles, and this is where you're going. Now, we had learned a few things, so he was trying to teach us, you know, kind of exercise what you learn. So we said, all right, we got this, and he takes off. <laughs> Listen, preteens and teenagers, the oldest one amongst us was 17 years old. And he leaves us. So anyway, we start hiking, and we start following directions for about 30 seconds. And then we start skipping rocks, right? And we, we're fooling around. We're throwing sticks at each other. We're looking at the sights and all that. And before you know it, two hours later, we realize, where are we? And so we're kind of all fretting, saying, man, two miles. Now, what you don't know is that for Boy Scouts, a mile was supposed to take you 12 minutes to hike. 
the most. So it was supposed to be a 24-minute walk. It took us two hours. So we realized, more than two hours, we realized we're kind of lost, and Andy pulls out the map, and he goes, all right, I don't know exactly where we are, and then somebody goes, we need a compass. Ta-da! I got one! I go into my bag, I pull everything out, I pull out the compass, and here's what happens. We started to see that we were supposed to go due north, and we began to chart a path where we made it. I'll tell you why I share that story with you. Because in the same way, God has given each and every one of us a point of destination. His word as a guide with detailed instructions and his precious Holy Spirit that lives within you, that resides with you, that's even speaking to you right now, who is constantly pointing us in the right direction. But your mind is your compass. Your mind is your compass. And according to what you orient that compass to, you will find your way or you won't with God. That makes sense? Man, that's good stuff. And so listen, the mind is the tool that you and I possess and that we must use in order to get from where we are to where God is attempting to take us. And so today, I want to talk to you on the topic of the disciplined mind. Because the truth is this, that the mind, if it's to be used for its true intended purpose, it, it, it must be used with discipline. It has to be oriented. Turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And these are just foundational scriptures for this series, so we're going to continue to read these throughout every week. And it says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. In other words, then you'll be able to experience it. It says, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And so in these verses, what we see is that the mind is the place where all transformation is birthed. It's also the place, conversely speaking, where we conform and a stagnated life originates from. So I want you to consider this, that what we also see in these verses is that reaching the place of God's good, pleasing, and perfect will doesn't just entail mind transformation. It also entails daily sacrifices that complement what is taking place in this mind as it's being renewed so that it bridges the gap and marries them both. And the thing for that to all happen is a place of discipline with this mindset. That makes sense? That makes sense? And so here's the thing. Most people focus their efforts on transformation, sacrifice, and discipline in service to God. In other words, we work on the external areas of our life. But God calls us, according to these verses, to focus our efforts first in the area of the renewal of the mind. And to do that, we have to ex exercise discipline. So I want to talk to you about this place of the mind, but I want us to look at it as a, at a great example of a woman who faced a heartbreaking experience in her life. Listen, she suffered a great loss. She lost her son. And I want you to see how she managed with this. You could turn in your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 4. But before we go there, I want to give you some background. See, in the face of this heart-wrenching reality, this woman had to press forward to make it through. And to do so, she had to exercise great discipline in her thought life. Now, the backstory is that this woman had a history with God. Listen closely. This woman... Had, had witnessed a man named Elijah who was used powerfully by God who would come and go through this area where she lived at. And this guy, Elijah, spoke on behalf of God. This guy, Elijah, was used by God for great miracles. This guy, Elijah, was a great representative of God. And so when Elijah showed up, guess who else showed up? God showed up. And so here's the thing. She got tired of watching him come and go, and eventually one day she says to her husband, Honey... Honey, can we build an extra room in the house? And I imagine she goes, room for what? We got all the room we need. And she says, no, you don't understand. The man of God continually comes through here, but I want to give him a place to stay. 
I want to give him a place to abide, to remain. And so what I want you to see is this, that this woman was not content with the power, with the presence, with the guidance, with the authority of God, with all these things of God. She was not content with this coming and going in her life. She saw the need to make a place for it in her life. And in order to do so, it took building a space. Here's the thing. In order to build a space in a home that's already existing, you got to tear down some things. Now, I want you to just chew on that for a moment because maybe God's calling you to tear down some things in order to make room for something greater that he's trying to do in your life. Yes, Amen? Amen. That, that was a word in and of itself. I could just drop the mic right there and just, we'll be done. I'm sure some of you are thinking about your lunch and you'd prefer that. But let's move on. And so here's the thing. As a result of this heart that she had for God, as a result of this determination that she had towards God, God saw fit to meet an area of great need and importance in her life by giving her and her husband, who was elderly, a son. Now, I want us to see what happens next. In 2 Kings chapter 4, starting at verse 18, it says, And the child grew. And now it happened that one day that he went out to his father, to the reapers, and he said to his father, My head, my head! And so he said to his servant, carry him to his mother. Kind of sounds like a dad, right? Go to your mother. And when he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon and then died. And when he had taken him and brought him, uh, I'm sorry, uh, verse 21, and she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, shut the door upon him and went out. So she took him to the place where she knew the presence of God to be. Yes, sir. Right? And so this woman knows something about God. And then she called to her husband and said, Please send me one of the young men and one of the donkeys that I may run to the man of God and come back. And so he said, Why are you going to him today? It is neither the new moon nor the Sabbath. In other words, you have no religious reason to go see the man of God. You have no reason to go there. Why are you going? And watch what she says. She says, It is well. And then she saddled the donkey and said to her servant, Drive and go forward. Do not slacken the pace for me until I tell you. And so she departed and went to the man of God uh, at Mount Carmel. And so it was when the man of God saw her far off that he said to his servant Gehazi, Look, the Shunammite woman, please run, to, run now to meet her and say to her, Is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with your child? And she answered, It is well. And now when she came to the man of God at the hill, she caught him by the feet, but Gehazi came near to push her away. But the man of God said, let her alone, for her soul is in deep distress, and the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. And so she said, did I ask a son of my Lord? Did I not say, do not deceive me? Then he said to Gehazi, get yourself ready and take my staff in your hand and be on your way. If you meet anyone, do not greet him, and if anyone greets you, do not answer him. But lay my staff on the face of the child. And the mother of the child said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. I will stay where you are. I will stay where the presence and the power of God is. Right? And so she arose and he, so he arose and followed her. Now Gehazi went on ahead of them and laid the staff on the face of the child. But there was neither voice nor hearing. And therefore he went back to, to meet him and told him, saying, the child is not awakened. When Elisha came into the house, there was the child lying dead on his bed. He went in, therefore, shut the door behind the two of them, and prayed to the Lord. And he went up and lay on the child and put his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, and his hands on his hands. And he stretched himself out on the child, and the flesh of the child became warm. And he returned and walked back and forth in the house, and again went up and stretched himself out on him. Then the child sneezed seven times, and the child opened his eyes. And he called Gehazi and said, call this Shunammite woman. And so he called her. And when she came into him, he said, pick up your son. And so she went in, fell at his feet, bowed to the ground. And then she picked up her son and went out. Now I want you to consider something that despite the fact that God had done great things in her life, despite the fact that she had a history with God, with the faithfulness of God, with the power of God, with the guidance of God, in the midst of all these things, despite that, Everything came crashing down. You know, I know some of you are thinking, man, that's messed up. And the thing about it is that I think it's safe to say that every believer at some point 
has had or will experience a similar experience. Let me tell you what I mean by that. You're right where God has placed you. You're doing what God has called you to do. You're standing in faith and pressing forward. You're holding on to hope in God only to see it all seemingly come crash down. All seemingly come to an end. And what we see from this woman's experience is this, that when life comes crashing down on you, a disciplined mind will bring you through. A mind that is set on God and his word. A mind that not, is not just looking to the promises of God, but is rehearsing its victories with God. One that's going, God, you did it before, and God, I know you're still able to do it again, and again, and again, and again. I know that you're faithful. And so, listen to this. The death of her son was a reality. But here's the thing. Her reality was, it is well. I want you to meditate on that for a moment. Her son is dead. Her world has come crashing down. She's feeling the emotions. She's in distress. We know that because when she comes to Elijah, Elijah perceives it. So she's in distress. She's anxious. She's afraid. She's grieving. She's hurting. But in the midst of it all, there's a greater truth that overrides the storm in her heart. And she says, it is well. This is my reality. I know what God promised me. I know what God has said. I know he did it before. And I know that God will do it again. Listen, these were more than mere words for her. This woman had a promise from God. And despite what the circumstances looked like, she was able to draw up the strength and fortitude the master, to master the circumstances and overcome. But why? Listen, she was able to override her feelings, look past the present reality, and to press forward. Now, here's the thing. Many of us can identify with her story up until this point. I'll tell you why. Because for some of you, you're managing your emotions. You're looking beyond your challenges. You're pushing ahead. You're holding on to the hope that the word of God gives you. And I, to you, I say, well done. Well done. That's good. But you see, the thing is that few move past this point. Let me tell you what I mean. The thing about it is that this woman teaches us something about going from where we are to where we're supposed to be in transformation. You see, to go from the place of conforming, where you fit and fall into the circumstances of life, and to go into the place of transforming, where you break free and experience life change and transformation with God, we have to look at her example. And what we see is that it takes a disciplined mind to trust God and to stay with God and experience his promises. I'm going to say something to you. Somebody needs to hear this. You are not done. You're not done. You're not done. Don't give up. You're not done. Don't let go. You're not done. Listen, it is well. Because God is for you. Who can be against you? Oh, well, that was a lot better in my head than, you know. But I want you to think about this. That this discipline of the mind is important to experience everything that God says is true about you. And so I want to give you some keys for the next couple of moments that I have here to discipline your mind. And the first thing I want to leave you with is this, that a disciplined mind entails a disciplined life. A disciplined mind entails a disciplined life. Let me tell you what I mean. The discipline that this woman exercised in her moment, in her moment of need, it did not start at the point of her moment of need. This woman had a history with God. This woman had experience with God. This woman had not just a place carved out in her house for the things of God. This woman had a place carved out in her heart, in her thoughts, in her mind that made room for the power and the presence and the anointing and the leading of God. She made room for him in her life. And so what we see here is that discipline, this discipline of the mind cannot be compartmentalized. You can't just be disciplined in the moment when you're trying to get through something. 
You got to be disciplined in your mind. And in order to be disciplined in your mind, it has to encompass every area of your life before you have arrived at the place of your need. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 through 27. It says, do you not know that in a race all the runners are running? Some of you are going, that's not my cup of tea. I'm not a runner. Oh, yes, you are. Listen to the word. It says, but only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in some things. Is that what it says? No. Ooh. I want you to think about this. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. In other words, in every area of their life. Listen, they do not... They do it to receive a perishable wreath or a prize, but we an imperishable one. So I do not run aimlessly. In other words, I know that I'm called to run in my lane. I know that God has called me to be where I am. It may not be comfortable sometimes. There may be challenges that come my way. That doesn't mean that God gave me those challenges, but it does mean that God is faithful to bring me through those challenges. And so I'm going to keep pressing. I'm going to keep running. I'm going to keep moving. I'm going to keep going. I'm not running aimlessly, he says. I do not box as one beating the air. You know what he's saying? No, I know that wherever I go, there's a contact. There's a point of contact. There's an impact. There's something that's supposed to happen. I'm knocking down some walls. I'm moving some, some mountains. I'm stepping forward with God. There's nothing that can stand in my way because my God is with me. So he says, I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body. Listen, and keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Now I want you to see something that like the athlete, you cannot just exercise discipline at the moment when you must contest with a challenge in life. Listen, discipline of the mind and of the heart and in every facet of your life starts with a discipline on a daily basis that begins right here. Begins right here. You can't just be disciplined in the moment of your necessity. You must lead a disciplined life. You must lead a disciplined life. And I'm going to tell you why that's important, because I know that discipline is hard. You know, anything that's worth it comes at a cost. Jesus said, you're going to follow me. You got to pick up your cross. And you got to go where I'm going. That takes discipline. That takes giving something up. There's a cost with that. But you see, the thing about it is that the more you do which is that which is hardest, the easier life becomes with God. The more you do that which is hardest, the more you confront those things that do pose a challenge, that do draw your attention, that do create barriers, those things that you have to knock down to renovate and see something great erected with God, those things, listen, in order... To experience all that God has for you, you have to do that which is hardest. And when you do, the easier life becomes with God. You know, the mind is like a muscle. In order, some of you are saying, what's that? That was a lot funnier in my head. We'll move along. The mind is like a muscle. In order for it to grow, in order for it to grow strong and to be renewed, you must exercise what God's depositing into it. But you know, the opposite is also true. Like a muscle that goes unused, like a muscle that goes unused, the mind conforms to weakness and leads to apathy if you do not enforce the discipline that it requires to grow. And so why is that important? Because God cannot change what you are not willing to face. God can't change what you're not willing to be disciplined about. You know, everybody wants the results. The question is, do we also want to enforce the discipline that it takes to get there? It's worth it, ladies and gentlemen. And thus, Paul says, 
I run. And I keep running. You know what the beauty of this scripture is? You know what the truth is about you and me? That whether you know it or not, you're in a race that you can't lose. Now, I know somebody just thought here, but wait a minute. The scripture just says that only one, one wins. And that's true, but I'm going to tell you why you always win. Because the Bible says that God has fearfully and wonderfully made you. In other words, what the scripture is saying is that there's only one unique you made in the image of God. And as such, no matter where you go, as long as you keep pressing, you keep running. You can't win because you're in your lane and God has called you to victory. Hmm. Second thing I want to leave you with here today is that what you believe is essential to having a disciplined mind. Listen closely. This woman's actions were not reactionary. When we live from a reactionary place, we live and respond according to the moment. Right? This woman's actions were not a response according to the moment, to her loss. Her actions were a response. Her actions were a reaction to the promise that God had dropped in her heart. She knew beyond a shadow of a doubt, God, you gave me this son. God, you gave me this promise. God, you overcame the impossible. And God, if that's what you did, then this can't be the end because, Lord, I know that you're faithful. And, when, and your word says that your promises are yes and amen. In other words, if I said it, I'll do it. I'll, you'll see it come to pass. Man, somebody needs to get a crazy, a crazy praise on right about now, man. I'm about to jump out these shoes. Listen to 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. It says, therefore, we do not lose heart. Now, the Bible says that with the heart, we believe. And with the mouth, we confess that Jesus is Lord. So I want you to understand something. That when Paul here says, by, the, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we do not lose heart. You know what he's talking about? He's saying, we do not let go of that which we believe. We're not giving it up for loss. So he says, therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Man, man, there's so much that I want to say about that right now. Listen, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are not seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen, I'm, I'm sorry, but, the, but for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Let me tell you something. You are just like this guy, Paul. You qualify for what he says here. You might go, well, I don't know about that, Pastor. You don't know my story. But I'm going to tell you why, because you are called just like he was by God. Your life also holds promise just like he did, his life did. And the same word that God has declared over each and every person, he also has declared over you. That his gifts and callings upon your life are without reproach. He's not repenting about it. He's not, he's not, he's not lamenting the choice he made. God is convinced about you because what he did in Christ is sufficient to cover every, every area of weakness and to take you down the path that he's leading you towards. Now get this. Like this guy, Paul, we face the daily grind of the outward man. Things come to an end, right? These bodies, they endure hardships. Life isn't always easy. Challenges may come. But inwardly, there's a great power at work in you, one that is renewing you day by day. And here's the key to that day-by-day day renewal. Here's the key. It's how you allow God's word to impact your belief. You know, there's plenty of people that read the Bible. But my question is, is the word of God reading you? Let me tell you what I mean by that. Is it exposing your heart? Is it cutting away some things? Is it bringing some enlightenment? Is it building you up? Is it helping you to grow? Is it maturing you? Or is it just something that we read through? And this is important because, you see, what you believe is the thing that will bubble up in the moment when you're challenged. Yes, sir. And at that moment, 
What you believe will either make you or break you. Let me ask you a question for personal reflection. When you're faced with challenges, do you crumble or do you rise up? And for some of us, we might say, no, I don't crumble, but let me ask you something. How much does the word of God have to do with that? Because if you just get back up by your own wits and by your own strength and by your own determination, no wonder you keep falling down. You're depending on the wrong rock. You're standing on sifting sand. Your foundation is faulty. And God did not create you to fall. God created you to stand and to continue to stand. Amen? Amen. And so look, Paul says something very interesting here. God reveals something to us through these words. Paul says, we do not lose heart. And what we're seeing here is that the inward renewal is not about what you see and believe in the moment. It's about your, in, it's about your vision and your belief for a lifetime. Are you believing in God the same way you do when challenges come than when you don't have any challenges at all? Are you rejoicing in the goodness of God and celebrating God and worshiping God and seeking God when things are good as well as when they're not so good? You see what I'm saying? And so the third thing I want to leave you with here is this, is that discipline of the mind requires that we undo old disciplines. Discipline of the mind requires that we undo old disciplines. What am I talking about here? Look at Ephesians 4, 21 through 24. It says, since you have heard about Jesus... Anybody heard about Jesus? Right? Watch this. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him. Anybody learned something from Jesus along the way? Okay, good. Then so far you qualify for this. Listen closely. Throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life. Listen closely. Paul's not writing to unbelievers. He's writing to believers. And we got to understand that there's a trap that he's helping us to see so that we won't fall into it. He says, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Watch this. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Listen, because you've heard about Jesus and you are learning the truth, something is supposed to be taking place. And the thing about this truth is that it doesn't have an effect until you and I begin to do something because of it. Let me tell you what I mean here. Hating someone, hurting someone, living selfishly, stepping on people's toes to reach my goals was normal and appropriate for me at one time. It was appropriate. It was the right thing to do. Man, it's dog-eat-dog world, and by God, I'm going to be the bigger dog. I'm going to get my way. That was appropriate at one time, and then I began to realize and understand something about the love of God. Now, I'll be honest with you, I haven't arrived. I haven't arrived. So that's good news, because we're all in process. But the thing about it is this, I began to see some things about the love of God and how that love of God transcends into my life and how it's supposed to meant to operate through my life. And now, even after I began to understand the truth and believe it, it still had no lasting effect until I began to do it. So, you see, I had to put off what was once a discipline in my belief system and my mind. You know, if you just listen to your thoughts long enough, and if you can't get to that place where you can still your mind to listen to it, just listen to your words long enough, and what the Bible says is that you'll hear what's in your heart. In other words, you'll discover what you believe. And here's the thing about that, that we have to put those things off which were a discipline in our mind and transcend into our life so that we can put on that which God says it's better. See, that's how you let the Spirit of God begin to renew your thoughts and your attitudes. Our greatest challenge as believers does not come by way of the problems that we face on a daily basis. Our greatest challenge comes by way of what we remember about our former life apart from Christ. You know, the mind is like a double-edged sword. On the one hand, it's a powerful tool that can be used to hold fast and remember the promises of God. But on the other hand, 
It can equally be harmful if we do not confront what it reminds us of from our former life. Galatians 5, 1 gives us a clue to overcoming in this area. It says, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Feeling stuck, feeling bound, feeling uh, uh, stagnated, feeling like you're in some still waters and everything kind of stinks, right? Life isn't what you thought it could be. I want to suggest to you here that what, what you're not experiencing is the freedom that comes by Christ. And so the scripture reminds us and it says it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. But watch how that works. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened. Listen closely. Again. Again. Don't let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. In other words, listen, don't go back to the place you once left. Don't go back to the things that kept you bound. Don't hold on to people that don't belong in your life. Don't, 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 don't embrace the lies that once you thought were true and they haven't worked and now you see the lie. Don't go back there. Don't be deceived. It's for freedom that he sets you free. And so you see, undoing old disciplines of the mind requires standing firm in new ones. Let me tell you why that's powerful. Because if you're going to experience, if you're going to experience transformation, if you're going to discover all that God has for you, and you're going to live it, you're going to experience it, His good and pleasing and perfect will. Just understand something, that he's calling you to something new. But in order to get there, you have to take off that is old. It's interesting. The Bible calls that which is old a yoke of slavery. You know what happens when we go back to the old? We suffer at the hands of old ways, of old thoughts. And the thing about it is this, the worst kind of slavery, this type of slavery that torments you, that weighs you down, the worst kind is the one that you say, I'll take it, because I believe it's going to be good. That's where the people of Israel were. They said, man, if we could just go back to Egypt, at least there, you know, we had our whips, and we were beat, but we got some meat while we were at it. We were better off there. And what they forgot was that God said, I'm taking you to a place of promise. I'm giving you cities that you did not build. I'm giving you vineyards that you did not plant. I'm calling you to be the head and not the tail. I'm telling you that wherever you go, I've given it to you wherever you set your feet. I've given you the territory. I've enlarged everything around you. But in order to get there, you can't go back. I don't know who it might be, but I really believe that God's speaking to some of us. He's speaking to all of us, but I believe that there's someone that really needs to hear this. Don't go back. Because there's nothing there. There's nothing there for you. Don't go back. Don't go back. You're not called to move backwards. You're called to move forward. Listen closely. You know, I think of it this way. You ever wonder why the windshield in your car is bigger than the rearview mirror? You ever wonder why? You know, the rearview mirror is meant to be looked at at a glance. You might look back there, but you're not meant to stay there. And when you stay there, you lose sight of what's in the windshield, what's ahead. And if you look long enough backwards, you're always going to crash. It's such a wider view when you look where God is leading you. Don't go back. The last thing I want to leave you with here is this. It's that discipline. This discipline of the mind does not disappoint. It does not disappoint. 
Now I get it. Maybe you're thinking, I'd like to be disciplined, but I try for a while and then, then I fall. I fall back to my old ways. It's so hard. I get it. Discipline in, the, discipline in the realm of the mind is hard. But ladies and gentlemen, it is not impossible. It's not impossible. It starts with a decision. Listen to how you get to that place of decision. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 through 10. Starting at verse 7, God says to us through this, man, this same man, Paul, he says, have nothing to do with godless myths or old wives' tales. Let me translate that for you. Have nothing to do with any foolishness that draws you away from the truth of God. Anything that doesn't point you towards God is godless. Anything that you're entertaining that convinces you of something that is not the truth, that contradicts the word of God, is godless. Anything that you're holding on to that's leading you somewhere else that gives you a sense of promise but is not in line with the truth revealed in God's word, it is godless. And listen to what God says, have nothing to do with these godless myths, with these stories that promise you a brick, a, 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 a beautiful light at the end of the tunnel. Those things are false. If they don't include God, they're a lie. He says, rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value. But godliness has value for all things. All things. Holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. That is why we labor and strive, because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, and especially to those who believe. Now, I want you to see something about what God is saying here. That it's very easy for us to get caught up in training ourselves in something outside of God. You don't like your results? Can I tell you something? You worked for those. You were disciplined in some regard for those. Whether it was for the good or for the bad. You were disciplined in there. You were stuck there for a moment. But you see, the thing about it is that Paul reveals something very powerful here. He talks about hope. And he talks about a hope that was only in God, in the living God. In other words, listen, I see all this stuff around me, but I can't hope in you, baby. I can't hope in these people. I can't hope in this paycheck. I can't hope in this career. I can't hope in the accolades of these people around me. I can't hope in what people say about me and my reputation. I can't put hope in any of that. He says, no, I put my hope in the living God. You know why? Because when you hope in that which is living, it produces life. You know what the truth is that everyone is disciplined in the mind. We all, we're all disciplined in the mind because everyone has hope in something, in someone, somewhere. But you see, hope works both ways. And if your hope isn't in God, it's because you believe that he will disappoint you. Or you believe he has disappointed you. Let me tell you something about God. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. God says, I am not a man that I should lie. If I have said it, I've decreed it, it's done. You continue to walk forward, baby, because I cannot disappoint you. For God to disappoint you is for God to be inconsistent with his true nature. And God is faithful in all things. And so if your hope isn't in God, I got to ask you a question. Is what your hope for meeting your every need? Is what you're hoping in meeting your every need. I can tell you this beyond a shadow of a doubt. 
It might mean it for a moment, but it hasn't lasted the entirety of your life up to this point. And that in and of itself is a great indication that you're placing hope. You're being disciplined in your mind towards something that is going to disappoint you again and again and again. You know, the Bible says that hope deferred, it, 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 it sickens the heart. But there is a hope that won't leave you there, that won't take you there. It's hope in God. And so, we have to be disciplined in this area of the mind. Let's stand here as we come to a close. I want you to see something. That God is such a good God that even if you believe that you are unqualified and incapable and undisciplined, God has equipped you with a mind, a mind that is powerful, a mind that he has entrusted you to steward in such a way that you align it the word of God and you begin to discover truth and that truth excuse me that truth begins to impact your belief and that belief begins to impact your thinking and that thinking begins to produce some different actions it begins to take you to some different places it begins to draw upon some different resources and you begin to experience something so much greater than you've ever seen it's what the Bible calls a transformed life it's what God has for you. Listen to what the scripture says as we close. Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed. Do not fall into the mold is what that says in the Greek. Do not fall, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. Anybody want some transformation in here? Come on, raise your hand. Go ahead. Let's start talking to God. Listen, this place of transformation... It comes by the renewing of your mind. And as this mind begins to transform, as this mind begins to replace the old with the new, as you begin to accept what God is speaking to you even right now, the Bible says that then you will experience and you will know what is the good and pleasing and perfect will of God. If that's you, man, say, I'm ready. Come on, say, I'm ready. God, I'm ready. I'm ready for transformation. God, right here, right now. Here we are, Lord. Responding, Lord, to your word, knowing that it is true. Accepting the invitation and embracing the call to partner with you. And Lord, I thank you, Lord, that though at times we've been undisciplined, though at times we may be weak in certain areas, that you promise in your word that when we are weak, you are still strong. That you make up the difference. Father, I thank you that your word says that by your spirit you quicken our mortal bodies. You rejuvenate us. You, you, you give us strength, Lord. You give us motivation. You remind us of your good and perfect will and your promises, Lord. You continue to tell us who we are in Christ, that we are new creations. Lord, that we are strong and that we can do all things with Christ. Father, I thank you that today we stand in the hearing of your word and we take dominion of these thoughts. We tear down every lie that tries to exalt itself above the knowledge of God. And we, we subject it to the truth of God's word that, that's revealed in Christ. And Lord, we believe. We believe. I'm telling you right now, somebody needs to hear this. Get ready for transformation. There's change in the mist. There's something new. There's something better. You've settled and God says you've settled long enough. I'm leading you into a land of promise. I'm showing you greater things. But it begins with you right here, right now. And that discipline of the mind starts with a decision. For some of us, here's the decision we need to make. I've been stuck too long. I've been walking with Christ, but I've been stagnant. It's time to turn around. It's time to turn around. For others of you, whether you're here or you're online watching with us, Maybe you've known God. Maybe you've, you grew up knowing Christ and you kind of walked away. You've stepped aside and things haven't been working. Today, your decision is this. Acknowledging the fact that God has something better for you and turning back to him. Like the prodigal son, God's not mad at you. He's waiting for you with open arms. Matter of fact, he's running to you. It's the reason why you're listening to this message right now. 
And then there's for some of us that you've never known Christ, you've never believed in God, but today you find yourself captivated by the truth in God's word. You find yourself drawn to the power and the promise that God's word is revealing. That while everything is collapsing in your life, it is still well because God is reaching out to you and he's with you and he's trying to teach you and show you something better. Whoever you are today, if you've never known God, you've walked away from God. I want you to recognize something that if you find yourself in this place right now, what you're realizing is your need for God. And so if you believe that, and I want you to pray this prayer of confession with us. It's a confession that acknowledges that God saw you and me in our brokenness, in our sin. But he wasn't moved by it. He wasn't repulsed by it. No, instead he says they can't make up the difference. They can't change it. So I'll become like them and I'll change it for them. I'll die the death and pay the penalty for that sin. And I'll rise again to prove that they can die to an old way of life and they can rise up to a new one. So if you believe that today, pray this with us, say this with confidence, with strength, with joy, with purpose. Say, Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you died and you rose again for me because you love me. Today I declare that you're my Lord and Savior. I call you my God. And from this day forward, I trust you, I'm following you, and I'm looking ahead to greater things. Come on now, if you pray that, we pray that in Jesus' name. We're celebrating life change and transformation. There's a new path ahead for you. Don't leave here without telling us. Let somebody know of your decision. Now, Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you again next Sunday. Hey everybody, thank you so much for joining us here at Church of the Bridge today. I pray that you had a personal encounter with God, that he spoke to you powerfully, and that he met you at your place of need with this message. I also want to encourage you to go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube page. By doing so, you'll be able to check out past messages, uh, past events that we've done. You'll also be able to see what's happening now and those things that are to come. And lastly, I'd like to invite you to join with us in all that God is doing with your giving feel free to do so on our website. Again, thank you again for joining us and I can't wait to connect with you next week.